get it done. We'll get her done. There's yeah. It'll happen. All right, ready? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and Merry Christmas. We are right in the middle of our series, Jesus is King, and we are studying the Christologies. These are passages of scripture that talk about the very nature of Jesus, and we are studying them here on the podcast that dives deeper into biblical truths, um, does not listen to the culture, but instead goes to the source of all truth and justice. Amen. (laughs) And uh, we can't Superman? do Superman. No, <laughs> no Super, <wait>. Jesus. Super <laughs> Jesus. Uh, my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host here on the Salty Pastor, and we can't have the Salty Pastor without the Salty Pastor himself. Please welcome Doctor Douglas Peak. I always feel like this is like a professional wrestling ring or something. I mean, whenever I've you always say kind it that of way, thought I would really enjoy being an announcer, <laughs> announcer at a for WWE event. It's a WWE event. Yeah, we're gonna come here. Just do it for like today. One we're night. gonna do the smack. Down on the devil. Yep. That's how we roll here at the Salty Pastor. <laughs> well, if you can't laugh, then you're taking life way too seriously. Merry Christmas, everyone, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, we've been uh, studying these Christologies, as you just said. We started off in the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. And what we see in that passage is what is known as the Incarnation. It's one of the most important doctrines of the church. And the reason why is because it is it is the support, that underlying support that shows that Jesus Christ has supremacy in all things, which is necessary for his redemptive power in our life. And then last week we talked about uh, Colossians chapter one, and we really studied how his kingdom has been transformational throughout the world in which we live. And it is the effect of a kingdom uh, and its rule that is often the greatest testimony to its truthfulness or its veracity. So today the Christology is in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about the power that the king has. Why is the incarnation so important? Why is the effect of his kingdom so important? Well, it all speaks to his power. And what is the power that he has and he is executing in his kingdom? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So all these passages we're studying are called Christologies. Um, They're passages that talk about the very nature of Jesus, who he was, um, What's I mean? I guess what's our what's our what's our text today? Should, yeah. What are we reading? Well, today? it's uh, Philippians, and this is another one that's really powerful. It, you know, the whole New Testament is a Christology, but it's interesting because it comes in different forms. And the things that make these special is that they're not talking about like how you and I should live or how we should perceive reality. These are actual statements about the very nature of Jesus Christ. So in in Philippians, we just did a series called Hashtag Blessed. Did you like that series? I loved that series. <laughs> and it was all about how to find joy uh, even in the midst of all Stress the stu- and yeah, crazy. Yeah. All the crazy and, and where it really comes from and that we're meant for that. And so this passage is really a part of that. But what's unique about it is it's also applicable to all of these other things that are going on. So let me read it real quick, and then I'm going to talk about some principles. And okay. Number one, it says, verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying, think like Jesus. And in our relationships. So that's the context in which he makes the following statement about the very nature of God. 
And he goes, okay, who being in very nature God? So he and God are one. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So we talked, preached on this a couple weeks ago. And you remember the illustration? On the being made human likeness? Yeah, yeah the yeah. incarnation. So we had the, the fish tank, right? Yeah, the big aquarium filled with water, and on the front of it was God. And we definitely did not spill it all over the floor. <laughs> we did not good. spill. You put God in a box. <laughs> That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> not great, but the illustration was great. Yeah, illustrations are definitely limited, aren't they? <laughs> and, so, and then we dipped... Uh, a smaller container in it and then set it on a table outside of that. And, and that was the, that was Jesus. But the water is of, of the same stuff, right. the very nature. And so that's what he's talking about here. Verse eight goes on to say, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the purpose of him becoming human was to die on a cross. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we see the reason and purpose for that. And that is, is that from the very beginning of the foundations of the world, before they were created, God had a plan to redeem us back to him. And so we're the center of this cosmic plan. And it says, because Jesus did this, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth which is a reference to the notion of uh, Hades or Sheol the kingdom of Satan in Roman paganism it was the river Styx you cross that into Hades and Hades is the place where uh, the God, the, you know, one of the gods down there, he was like the half brother, the brother of Zeus, who was at Mount Olympus. Olympus. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, he was down there and he ruled the underworld, so to speak. And so it's a reference to that. And it doesn't matter. It all is under the supremacy of Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. So some principles here. Number one, the, in the early part of the church, the most common criticism to believing that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is what he was just a man. You know, well, we saw him, right? Right. And, you know, oh, yeah, he was that guy that went around and preached and fed some people and did some miracles, you know, but but I saw him, you know, I, I walked behind him for a while. You know, he was a little odoriferous that day, <laughs> you know, so how can you tell me he's King of Kings God? And so this was a direct refutation of that criticism. Paul saying, well, you don't understand what really happened. It's called the incarnation. Number two, it shows us that Jesus was of the same nature of God before he became a human being. It tells us that the purpose for which he did this was to set an example for how you and I are to approach life, particularly our relationships. It shows the effect of what he did. And that is, as I said in Ephesians chapter one, we see that we are the center of God's cosmic plan. And how Jesus was purposed as the way to win this battle in this cosmic plan. And and ultimately, when you're dealing with evil and you're dealing with suffering and you're dealing with every bad thing in the world, you're actually dealing with a moral problem. There's a moral battle happening. That's why you have good versus evil. And so what this shows us is that Jesus 
fought the battle and won. And because of that, everybody will confess. Every knee will bow because he won the battle. And so that's kind of what this passage really focuses on. So, so what's the power that gave him this victory over all of these things? Like what's the, what's the power of his kingdom and, and why should it matter to us? Well, like in, in Ephesians, we talked about how uh, we're the center of God's cosmic plan. And what it's all about is redemption. It's about you and I needing redemption, which is the most powerful antidote to evil when you understand the cosmic battle that is happening. Now, the common criticism out there today, amongst Christians even, is, well, why doesn't God just stop evil? So I was listening to an interview with uh, Neil, uh, Neil Grayson, what, that physicist, uh, Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, that guy. Why do I deGrasse? I never say that right. <laughs> I, I always trip up on his name. I don't know why. So he's talking about, about this, and he, he uses a philosophical construct to not believe in God that you run into as a freshman in your first philosophy class that you've ever really taken. And that is this, is that, well, he says, you know, God is good, right? And God is all powerful, but evil exists. And if God's good, then he would stop evil, but he doesn't. So he can't be good. Uh, Or if God was all powerful, he would stop evil, which he doesn't. So maybe he's not all powerful. So there's obviously not a God. Well, the problem with his thinking is that he may be brilliant in physics, but when it comes to philosophy and logic, he's pretty infantile. Right. You know, because what most people say is, well, if God just stopped evil, I would believe in him. Uh, if bad, th- if God loved me, he'd stop bad things from happening to me. Well, if that's true, then logically the converse of that coin is true. Uh, of the other side of that coin is true as well. If he's going to stop bad things from happening, then all good things would be stopped is from happening as well. Okay. Consequently, then we wouldn't have any free will. There would be no bad things. So there would be no moral choices to make. There'd be no good things. So there'd be no more moral choices to make. And you know where you are now? You're in the definition of humanity that is atheistic in nature because then God becomes irrelevant. And that's what atheists say. See, atheists say that, well, there is no, uh, God, therefore there's no free will. So there is no moral dilemma that you have. You, it's just an illusion or you think they have various answers. I'll talk about those in just a moment. But, but basically, you know, what you see here is your understanding of evil. Most people have been convinced that, that uh, their definition of evil, they believe it, that it comes from a secular humanist worldview and they don't even know it. And the reason why is because they've been trained through postmodernism to think this way. And that's what's kind of sad. And so the difference between the secular atheistic definition of what it means to be a human is the opposite of the view of what it means to be a human as defined by God. You know, what's God's definition of humanity? So that's pretty big deal. Hmm. So I guess the question is, is like, how do we, I mean, obviously everyone, I mean, even Christians are struggling with this concept. Is there a way for us to 
explain this to them in a better <laughs> like way. Like give them handles yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, I think I think the first thing you have to understand is that the atheists define human beings in a way uh, uh, that exists so that ultimately what you are is you are an evolved chemical molecular machine. And Sam ha Harris has written extensively about this in a couple of books and all the leading atheists and all the universities, you know, support it and have the same conclusion. And basically what they say is that you do not have free will. So you're completely deterministic because we live in a closed system. Right. Right. So you don't, you're not really choosing. You may think you are. It's just an illusion, but it's all deterministic. Your choices, your behaviors are all irrelevant. When you boil it down in one of his books, uh, Sam Harris starts off talking about a situation back in Connecticut where these two men get out of prison. This is how he starts his book. They get out of prison. I don't know if they escaped or they're on work release or something or if they actually got paroled or something. They, they go to a house. Right. And the, the husband and father was at work and they break in. And there were the, the wife was there and there were two girls and the girls. One was like eight or nine and the other one was like 12 and there was a mom. And so they break in there and then they get him to come home or I can't remember the details of it. But they basically what they do is, you know, they stab him. They beat him. They rape his wife. They rape his daughters, mm. eight years old, 12 years old. And. They and then then they set the girls on fire. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And try to burn the house down. And somehow he survives and they make him witness this. And according to Sam Harris, uh, he says this. If I was raised or had the same experiences as them, I would have done the same thing. And so what he's saying is that it's not right or wrong. It's just deterministic. They had no choice but to basically do that and i look at that definition of the world that he describes and i think to myself that is the most horrific evil thing that you could ever say about that situation what that situation is is those men chose to do that and they committed these horrific acts of evil and justice demands that they pay for their crimes to the fullness of the law atheists don't really buy into that. The logical conclusion. Now, what some atheists, if they listen to that, they're going to push back and they're going to say, well, I would never put up with that. Blah, blah, blah. And I would say to them, well, you're a subjectivist. So what you think doesn't really matter. Hmm. It might matter to you, but it doesn't matter to anybody else. That's why atheism fails as any way of human governance. You know, we look at what it's done and how it's done it. We have examples of communism and socialism, and they've just been the worst in human experiments. And so this is what, you know, this is what we're dealing with. When I talk about how your definition of what it means to be a human being is such an important thing about you, because atheism defines the you as as a deterministic machine free will free excuse me free will doesn't exist your behaviors are all programmed and so that falls out into what is commonly known as social engineering and that is the belief that well 
If I want to modify behavior, then I'll modify the systems that are programming people. So everything is a social construct. You know, uh, gender is a social construct. Sex and sexuality is a social construct. Education, classes, money, everything is a social construct. It doesn't flow out of anything that it means we're naturally human beings. And of course, the ultimate conclusion is this, is I challenge any atheist to rationally explain to me the difference in value between a human being and an arbovita. You know, a little evergreen is that bush. An, okay, I was like, is that an anteater? I don't know no, what that is. An ar- no, it's not an anteater. It's just a bush. It's a tree. So tell me the, the, the rational difference between the value of, an, of, of a, an evergreen bush in your front yard and the human beings living in the house. You know, in, in your worldview, there is no difference. So chopping down a tree, you know, when you're doing some landscaping or chopping down a human being, there is no moral judgment on that. It's Mm. equivalent of the same value. So, you know, we could go on and talk about the insipid, ignorant, and existential threat to our society that this position has. And I say it just in case you want to know what my opinion on that position is. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, what I think it's really important to understand is that Jesus defines our reality in a way that is the most human affirming thing. He starts by saying, look, you have free will. And we see the first image of this in the Garden of Eden, and we don't see it in the temptation of the serpent. You know where you see it? Is you see it in God's commission to Adam and Eve. When he says, you're here to take care of everything, name the animals. And then he says the following words, you are free to eat of everything in the garden, except. So in that moment, you know, see the per- one of the primary purposes of that story that Moses recorded was to show that we are not materialistic, deterministic machines. We are living souls that have free will to choose. Mm. And God bestows that upon us by giving choice, right? So you choose what you eat, but don't eat that. You know, and of course, what's the first thing they do? Eat that. <laughs> they, yeah, well, I don't know if it's the first thing, but in the story, obviously, they eat that because they were, de- you know, they, there was deception that entered in. Why did, why did uh, Satan appear as a serpent and then why did he use deception because you don't use deception unless you have the freedom to choose yeah if it was deterministic they would have just done it either way they wouldn't have needed yeah. to be <laughs> and so see there's so much in there that that helps us understand human nature and that's really the essence of the creation account is understanding who we are as human beings and how god defines our humanity So this is the most affirming definition of what it means to be a human being because it gives you intrinsic value. It gives you individual sovereignty. Your choices make a difference. And that's why Philippians, Paul says in his letter to them, have the same attitude as Jesus. Think this way. Have the same mindset. Think this way. So you can choose. It's an act of will. It's an intellectual exercise. 
And in doing that, you have individual sovereignty because your choices make a difference. Your concerns, your wants, your desires are just as valid and just as important as any other human being's choices. However, God says our human existence, our capacity to choose in free will is tainted and influenced by a thing called sin. And sin has a far more reaching effect than we ever imagined. It really impacts you as a human being. You know, if you're, uh, let's say you're a young man who's single. Let's say hypothetically. Hypothetically. I'm a young man who's single. A young man who's single, right? And so, you know, there's, a, there's part of you that is like, I, I, my soul longs to meet someone and fall in love. I love children. I want to have children. I want to have, so you have all these things that we call aspirations, right? right? And you think, wow, the more I experience that, the more joyful my life becomes, the more full my life is. I, I want a job that's, that's fulfilling and makes a difference. And I feel like I'm not only needed, but I'm actually, you know, making a contribution that that positively impacts people you know right so you know i'm not a, a chemical a toxic chemical guy polluting the environment or something yeah <laughs> not the dream that's not my dream but you see what i'm saying is you have all these aspirations and and stuff like that so and one of those is to fall in love and to get married and have kids but what's interesting is then we, we start dating, we start having relationships, and we start asking ourselves questions like, well, why is it so hard sometimes? And right. why is it so difficult to find <laughs> someone? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with everybody else? Why, you know, it's just, it's just so convoluted. Well, what you're doing is the aspiration comes from being created in the image of God, right? Which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. But the practical working out of it is being influenced by the taint of sin. And what sin does is that, you know, changes our desires. It influences our, our choices on how to fulfill that. And this is why a lot of times people will choose bad out of an intent of good. You know, uh, you know, like uh, women really experience this today so much. You know, some some women that are really have their lives together, they're super go getters, super successful. Talk about why is it that I I am always attracted to men who just really treat me so poorly? What what is that? Well, your desire to be in love, to be in a relationship, to to have uh, agape or unconditional love, a covenantal relationship, is inspired by your soul, which is created in the image of God. But, but sin has entered into that process, right? And it has warped your radar. Um, and so what you're actually attracted to uh, ends up not fulfilling any of those soul desires. It just makes you more miserable, right? right. And so this is really common, just one area of your life. And you take that how sin influences all of our areas of life in that regard. And so, so what I find in this is so important, though, is this. Your human existence is created in the image of God, but it's tainted by sin, which has far-reaching effects in its influences, our thinking, our beliefs, and our behaviors. So in God's definition of who you are, the most important thing, the way to be fully human and live a full life to its fullest is looking at it from... God's perspective, because if you look at it from the atheistic standpoint, nothing you do makes any sense. 
All it becomes is preferences, you know? And so if you, a girl wants to date a guy that's bad for her, well, how could she even determine it was bad? It just is. And right. that's her preference. So, so you see, it just becomes so purposeless, meaningless. And, th- and then people fall into one thing that atheists can't explain, and that is despair. See, if you're, why would you, I mean, as long as you're not freezing to death and you have food and you're fulfilling your instinctual drive for sexual fulfillment, then evolution is occurring and that's the purpose of your existence. You know, so despair is a figment of your imagination. Well, then why is everybody depressing on Prozac? Because <laughs> the atheist worldview cannot explain any of this and it doesn't do a good job so but when when you see that god has a way of defining your humanity at its core redemption then becomes the most powerful antidote to the influence of evil in your life and here's why it's only redemption that allows you to maintain your intrinsic worth while at the same time admitting you're not perfect (laughs) right so you could say I, a young lady, say, I want to be married. I want to have children. I want to experience the, a covenantal relationship. But I'm attracted to fixer-uppers and men who treat me poorly. So how do you maintain your intrinsic value and say, I, I not only want these, but I can enjoy them, while at the same time saying, my radar is broken, I'm not doing a very good job. See, we live in such a binary world. An an atheist would say, well, that's just how you're determined, and that's just who you are, so just embrace it. But only God says, look, we can fulfill these things, but we got to work on the way you perceive what love and attraction really is, because sin is influenced so much, you don't even know what real attraction is. You right. see, and you think that attraction is a sexual excitement. OK, well, when you start reading the neurological studies on sexual attraction and sexual excitement and chemistry and all these kinds of stuff, uh, one thing that you will come to a conclusion, and that is it is more complex than anybody knows. So when somebody says these things, I know this is a little salty, he says, well, you know, I'm heterosexual, you know. Or someone says, I'm polyamorous, you know, or I'm a serial monogamous, you know, uh, I'll be loyal to one woman for a little bit, then another woman, then another woman and stuff like that. And then one says, no, I, I have a, a libido that wants me to be sexually involved with other people. Somebody say, well, I'm only attracted to people of the same sex. Uh, some other people say, well, I'm attracted to people of both sexes. And some people will say, well, I'm non-sexed. You know, I just don't have any attraction. There's one flaw in every one of those positions. And that is, is that you're basing your identity on something that the smartest people in the world to this date have no idea where it comes from and how it works. <laughs> and I, I'll just answer anybody who has a question about this. Ask anybody at the top of their field right now, where does consciousness come from? And nobody can answer that question. Hmm. Sentience, consciousness, the fact that you're a human being, where does it come from? Smartest brain people, neurologists, neuroscientists, neurosurgeons, all that kind of stuff. They can say, well, if I take this out, you're going to lose the you that's you. But they have no idea where it comes from or how it happens. 
and they know so much about the brain today than they have ever known before. Now, does that mean that they're not going to discover more? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I hope they discover more. But what I'm simply saying is that don't base your identity on something that nobody understands. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody understands it. I, I think it would be much better for you and more life affirming for you and more encouraging for you. If you based your identity on God's definition of who you are, because you can trust what God says. God loves you. God has a deep passion for you. And so his definition of who you are as a human being, I think it'd be better if you trusted him because in the long run, you're going to have your soul fulfilled. You're going to have the thirst of your soul quenched. Is your life going to be perfect? No. Are you going to get out of suffering? No. But what you are going to have is you're going to have meaning and you're going to have purpose and you're going to have direction like you've never had before. And why does this happen how is what makes it possible to do this to live this way it's called redemption and that is the most powerful thing that christ achieved on the cross is he accomplished the cosmic right to redeem you and what did he redeem you from he redeemed you from the deterministic reality that satan wants you to live in at its core satan wants to convince you that you don't have a choice. Hmm. You're stuck. You're screwed. Get used to it. And at its core, when we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is the most powerful thing in the world. And that's human free will. Because God says, I am free. No matter how bad things get, I am free to choose. And the power of redemption is what gives me the freedom to choose. See, Paul says that in your former way of life, you, you were deterministic because you were locked in sin and you were locked in the selfish desires of your flesh. But when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're being set free. The power of redemption breaks the chains of a deterministic life of sin. And you are now free to choose. You are free to to know and what gives you the freedom and what has the power to break those chains, that bondage, that cage. It is the redemptive power of the King, Jesus Christ. Well, those are some very powerful facts and some amazing thoughts. Um, yes. We are out of time today. Oh, darn. But um, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk about more of this on Thursday. Um, yes. I'm excited to hear more on this, but I think it's just, it's good to feel that like, feeling the the idea and the and the knowledge of knowing that we're not slate like these atheists yes. have such a sad life of being like well you, what what you do is determined and you never can change it and it's like right. we're free like we have that freedom because our king gives us that freedom yes so that's Dude, really the power sad. of redemption the yes. most pow greatest power of all well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, make sure you turn on a Thursday. We're going to dive even more into this. Yes. Um, and then obviously on Sunday. But uh, we're getting, we're, we're slowly climbing those YouTube subscriptions. We've got a lot of Yay. more people listening to the Salty Pastor. I've, I've been stopped multiple times at church and people are just <laughs> raving about it. So if you've got a friend or a family member that hasn't listened to it yet, send them an episode. Pick your favorite one that you've been listening to and send it to them. It might just uh, open something up in their lives that they didn't realize they were missing. So yes. thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday. God bless and Merry Christmas. <laughs>